Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have with me a very special guest, Ignatz Dovidans. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Oh, excellent. Excellent. I always love when I can get someone on TikTok and then get them on the show. So <laughs> TikTok's like my uh, my pond right now that I'm fishing out of. So I uh, saw I your books you <laughs> and yeah, I was like, oh, follow that one, add that. Here we go, Kindle. So I was very, very excited to uh, be able to connect with you today. So definitely, definitely excited for this one. Uh, lagging a little bit. All right. So that first question there, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? So, you know, the writing journey is, is a really not super straightforward thing, right? It's, yeah. you know, pe- people start everywhere, you know, I'm like trying to think back, like when's the most relevant time, right? We, <laughs> we can go all the way back to third grade. There you go. Um, when, when my teacher decided I was like a gifted writer um, and it like made me read poetry in front of the whole school and it was humiliating. Um, that's a formative experience. Um, but no, yeah, I guess it's, it's really piecemeal, you know, like I, um, the writing of the moon, the moonrise saga as it is today started when I was in eighth grade, I was a a middle schooler. Yeah. And, um, it was horrible back then. I mean, it was, it was one of the worst, like occasionally (laughs) I'll go back and occasionally go back and read that first draft. And it's maybe one of the worst things I've ever read, but (laughs) better. over and over again um and this was kind of happening in as I was going to school so Mm. went to high school did a lot of you know writing classes I was kind of in the English track more than I was in the science track okay um I liked them both but you know there was like creative writing classes and feminist lit classes and stuff that kind of had me reevaluating my writing took short story too that was fun um but anyway <laughs> i ended up going to college for filmmaking um oh, that's and i kind of like relearned the craft of writing through writing screenplays um so kind of while this is happening as i'm in high school as i'm in college learning to write for the screen um i kept coming back to this book and kept rewriting it and reevaluating it um and it just kind of so happened that it was like i never really wanted to start a new story i just wanted to tell the story right <laughs> um and yeah i, I just keep you know as you go on, you know, graduating college, entering the industry, um, not the publishing industry, but my industry, it's like mm. film, television, advertising industry, um, you know, learning more and more things and putting more and more into it, eventually getting to a place where it's like, I think this bad boy might be ready to, to share with people. Um, so that's kind of how it went from, you know, words on a page to book. <laughs> it's awesome cover, by the way. Super cool. <laughs> Thank you. I made it. I made it. Myself. Oh, that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, like I said, in, in real life, I'm like, a, it's really hard to explain my career. I tell people I'm an art director, but um, <laughs> it's, it's so many different things. But one of those skills is doing art and design. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make my own cover. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Did you do your own lettering to them? Yeah, this is actually trade secret here. I know this is reversed for those of you because of my webcam, but <laughs> this, is, this is actually a Legend of Zelda lookalike font that oh, I modified. Oh, that's cool. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, so people are like, that looks familiar. And I'm like, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's genius. I feel like, because as soon as I saw that, I was like, that is so cool. I was like, I, that just, it just spoke fantasy. And I think that's why it was like ingrained in there from the lettering. So that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it was tough because it's like these covers, you know, if you look at fantasy covers these days, there's like a dragon and a, and a ripped dude with a sword and like a million yeah. things happening. 
And like my cover, I always knew it was going to be a kid looking at a sunset. Cause that's like such that's a, cool. such an important part of this book. So I was like, how do I sell this as fantasy? You know? So the, the lettering really had to carry a bunch of the weight there. Um, oh, just yeah. Cause it was like, you know, otherwise with, without this, you're just like, this could be anything, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> having the lettering on there was super important. <laughs> well, it definitely, it definitely like caught my eye up top and then I, that's what happened is then I like looked underneath and I was like, Oh, that's fantasy. And then I looked at your profiles like, yep, yep, yep. And I actually like, I felt like it, like I felt good about it that I knew it was fantasy, you know, <laughs> it was like, yes, I got one, you know, <laughs> yeah, pick it up, I, picking up the vibes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I felt like I was in the club there, but yeah, I, I love the, I just love the lettering. I, I think, um, you know, I've talked to a few people who have talked about different video games that inspire them, you know, things like that, where they tried to get, you know, uh, what somebody I talked to for sci-fi, I forget who it was, was like the Duke Nukem games. <laughs> like, you know, they love the, you know, Duke Nukem and they use the same lettering. And, um, but I, I guess, you know, the same thing, you know, it really drew people in. So I think that's, I didn't think that, think of that before. So I think that that's a great thing for the audience to think about is how to, how to steal more Zelda things and put it into your, your, your advertising. I think that's brilliant. I'm jealous. I didn't think of that. So that's really great. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go with that second question there. Excuse me. <clears throat> like, I, I just got done teaching today for the first time in like two weeks. And I feel like now I like don't have a voice anymore. <laughs> and oh, my yeah. my kids are like, well, don't you have an interview today? I'm like, I, I do. I was like, it was, I was really impressed that they, you know, like actually like listened and everything. Uh, one of the kids was like, can I be your co-host? I was like, oh, I actually have another <laughs> author that I think is going to come co-host but in the future. I was like, but I, I'll keep you in mind. I'll keep you in mind. Uh, yeah, so I, <laughs> I have to, I have to ask this one. So what is your Moonrise Saga about? And I'm going to pretend like I didn't absolutely pour over Goodreads and Amazon. <laughs> so it's actually a very tough question. And this is partially because like I'm the author, I'm like way too close to it. Um, but also it's just like such a, it's, it's a hard question to pin down because the, the, the series is so, you know, multitudinous, if that's a word. And it's, uh, I like it. It's a word now. I like it. And it's premise. Right. So I guess like, if you want to start like at, at a narrow, at a very narrow sense, um, the Moonrise Saga is very much at the moment, a very classic fantasy adventure where you have a farm boy and there's a call to adventure. There's kind of a, an over mysterious overarching threat. There's political drama, you know, um, and the story is kind of, you know, involved these multiple POV characters coming together and working together to solve whatever this global problem is. And right now it's all very vague because only the first novella is out. Um, so kind of on a macro level, that's sort of, or sorry, micro level, it's kind of what we're looking at. On a macro level, it's really a fantasy story that is meant to engage with fantasy as the genre exists today. And also to kind of serve as a um, almost, you know, exploration of existential topics, right? Oh, um, cool. I think for me, fantasy is not about creating an alternate world to escape into. Fantasy is not about, um, you know, elves and dwarves. Like you can have that, like dragons and stuff. Like, but a lot, for a lot of people, like if you have something like that, that's what makes it fantasy. And for me, fantasy is less about the like, um aesthetics of it and more mm. about what the stories are trying to do mm. i think if you look at things like you know harry potter where 
that's a, a classic fantasy story or Lord of the Rings, two great examples that are, you know, huge franchises right now. Yeah, they're both fun. Yeah, they both have like fantasy elements like dragons and elves and dwarves and stuff. Um, but what makes those stories fantasy is that they are worlds that are created to explore very difficult, very personal topics on either side of the author. If you look at Tolkien, you know, the entire series is really, if you're, if you're looking at it from, you know, a top-down view, it's a series about Tolkien confronting the grief and the trauma he experienced during the world war he was involved in. Um, and, you know, he, he claims it's not intentional. I'm sure it's not because <laughs> he's writing things down on the page and that's just what's coming out because that's what's on his mind. That's what he's yeah. feeling. Um, so using these books as a vehicle to explore things like grief and nostalgia and, you know, what family means. And, you know, it's, it's good things, bad things, confusing things. The series is really designed around following this group of characters' lives, the ups and the downs in, in a safe environment that's not going to trick you, that's not going to hurt you, but exploring these tough topics in a way that feels safe and feels a little bit lighter than it would be in real life. So that's that's the very broad <laughs> sense of what it is. But in the in the short term, we're on a we're on a fantasy swashbuckling adventure, uh, you know, <laughs> fighting evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like how you mentioned that though, because I think that's why I, I think my friend and I the other day when I interviewed him, I think we called it real issues, you know. And I think that's why people enjoy Joe Ambercrombie so much, you know, is that he has those characters are really dealing with some real crap, you know what I mean? And I think that's where people that are dealing with real crap, they're like, they want to see how somebody handles it in a fantasy setting. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. I think that it, you know, it is really fun. And I, I, I guess I didn't consider that, but as you said, we're saying that and explaining, I'm like, Oh, I guess I do that a lot too, you know, in terms of um, you know, character development, but I think that's because that's the kind of writing I've been drawn to. That's the kind of, you know, books that I enjoy. I, I definitely enjoy Tolkien. I you know, as a history teacher, I feel like I could, feel the you know his really that that world war one you know presence i felt like was there and you know there were a lot of different issues i felt that he did tackle um maybe not like on purpose like you said but that you know they were still there and the vibes were there and yeah I, but i definitely think that's where you get a better story you know is not not necessarily trying to put go oh i'm gonna just do this to put elves in it or something but actually trying to go through and you know, make the characters meaningful and make them, you know, because people connect with them more, right? I mean, we all have a best friend that we're trying to help, like, you know, Samwise and, and Frodo. So I feel like that's why I don't even hear people talk about the magic system or anything anymore that, you know, I think is interesting. People always just talk about the relationships. I think Aragorn is a good example. Like, here you have somebody who could just take the ring and take over the world or whatever, but instead he does the right thing. And, um, and I always liked him personally, like, Punisher is great and all, but uh, I feel like Aragorn is like the original paladin, <laughs> like, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of, and yeah, but yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that, yeah, I think that makes total sense. That's really cool. And that who doesn't love the the classic farm boy trope, uh, right? the classic Luke Skywalker. I mean, there's a reason why it's a trope. There's a reason why it's a classic. So I think if you tell a great story, then, you know, people are going to be like drawn to that, like your cover and, you know, they'll, they'll really enjoy it. Now you said, excuse me you said um first novella do you so are each of your books novellas then yes in spirit um the one i'm writing right now i'm trying to keep them all around fifty thousand. a little mm. bit under a little bit over oh that's a book that's a book <laughs> so 
Yes. In traditional publishing terms, uh, they like, they like 80,000, you know, yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm obviously doing indie publishing, you know, 40, 50 is like technically a novella. It's a, it's a, it's a teeny tiny book really, but books three and four, especially as I'm editing them, those have like, you know, 65, 70,000 word counts. The one I'm working on right now, Moonrise 17, uh, the one I'm currently writing that's going to be like 80,000. Like that's going to be a full novel. <laughs> so that's I awesome. feel like they're going to slowly expand as time goes <laughs> on, but I'm trying really hard to keep them as bite size, snack size, as I like to say, as possible. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good, I always considered that like there are, I have this one like Firefly-esque mining crew that I always thought would be like a fun, you know, just to, and I have this one guy too, that's like a Sinbad like type character, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, he's just like a fun thief. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm like, he's kind of like a like you know it's like sword and sorcery like robert e howard sort of thing i thought oh, it'd be fun to do novellas and i feel like i i love novellas personally like i i just bought one um one of the encrypteds um i had shawnee mcguire on season one and she was talking about um one of them and i just saw it at one of my indie bookstores i was like oh cool i can you know support an author i had in the podcast and support an indie store at the same time um, so I'm really excited to get to that one, but my wife, she's like, you're just like addicted to novellas, but I've read some <laughs> of the, some, like, I don't know if you've ever read the ballad of black Tom, but that's a novella that I read last year. And that just like, it blew my mind. And now I'm always like, I need more now, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I like, I like the episodic things. I feel like, you know, I was raised in a time where episodic, you know, you know, writing, you know, was just, that's just what people did in a lot of mediums. So I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's still really fun to you know, just pick up a series of novellas. There was one, um, Guy Hawley, I believe was the author. And I forget, um, oh, I'm totally blanking on the two novellas that I read of his, but they were so astounding. Um, it was like a post-apocalyptic world. He had this great character. The world building was fantastic. Um, I don't know if he ever published the third one. I hope he did, but it was, I mean, they were, they were some of the best books I've ever read. And my friends like, oh, they're novellas. I'm like, they're books. Like the ideas were, <laughs> you know, were so big in them. But yeah, I was just curious because I've always, you know, if somebody, I feel like if somebody did a really cool story that I really liked and did it like episodically, you know, through novellas, I mean, as long as it's good writing, I mean, I would totally buy it, but I always, I'm always just curious about that. Cause I'm always wondering if anybody's doing that and is being successful at it, but. Well, I mean, that's the question it's I've, I looked up, you know, did some market research cause there was a time when it was, they were always kind of novella segmented out as novellas. Um, but they were kind of collected in these larger volumes, but you know, we were looking at like Game of Thrones size books, like Brandon Sanderson size books. And for me, that's like always a very overwhelming experience. Um, so there was a time when we were going to go big, but really it made more sense when we were editing the series to, to break it down and to feel more episodic. Cause mm. I mean, that's just the kind of writer I am. It's as if, you know, you're a camera in the scene. Um, so really the the episodic nature was really kind of from the television format uh which is which is funny that it kind of worked out that way but in the end it's like in publishing it's like it's kind of a weird thing that isn't super normal so i'm interested to see i think people will warm up to it after they give it a chance <laughs> yeah well i mean you know there were i don't know i just remember like Lindsay broker's podcast with joe lalo a few years ago like I was realistic to some older episodes and like, there are some people that still are doing the episodic 10,000 word short stories where they're doing one a week and, you know, they write 52 a year. So they're writing less than a Brandon Sanderson book, you know, and uh, you know, they're still, you know, I mean, they hit a hundred K, you know, just from doing 10,000 words a week, you know, and 
I just, it's always interesting to me that people don't do that. Cause I'm like, I do think that episodic, you know, novellas, I, 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 I would buy them personally. I know quite a few people that, you know, enjoy novellas and yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's an interesting thing to think about, but I'm going to, I'm trying it like with my urban fantasy. I'm like, ah, instead of giving it away for free, I was like, I'm just gonna, I got this monster hunter and it's like a recon Marine. I'm like, I just, I just want to see before, you know, publishing book one, first of all, it's helping me write book one and finish up. But I was like, I just want to see, you know, if people like three episodic novels, you know, novellas before the main book. And then if they don't do well, I can give them away for free or whatever before book one. But yeah, I just, I, I'm always so curious. So I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him because this is the perfect person <laughs> to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, we'll go over that third question. So I, how did you come up with this idea? So you got this farm boy, right? So where did it all start for you in terms of Moonrise Saga? That's a great question. I feel like the, that first draft I was telling you about when I was, you know, a middle schooler was very much, I was just writing a generic fantasy story. Mm. Um, it was hilarious. Like that's when I, when it's like, it's hilariously bad. It like, wasn't just like the prose of a middle schooler. It was like, <laughs> I was basically writing Star Wars and Lord of the Rings Oh, just like cool. verbatim <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah and it was like it was clear it's like oh that character i stole from this anime i was watching that character <laughs> i stole from a book i was reading and i was like this is it's just like a bunch of plagiarized stuff thrown together <laughs> um so at the like you know on the surface it was very much like oh i was just like writing what i knew which was nothing um but i guess the reason why i kept revisiting it was because there was you know something underneath like why was you know how old was I? Four, 13, 14? How old was adolescent me? Like, why did he have so much motivation to write this story? Um, and it was because really at the end of the day, the way the story was formatted was it was the, the characters were facing challenges that I was facing in real life or challenges my friends were facing or challenges my family were facing. And once I kind of understood that, I was like, oh, like I can get rid of all of the stuff that's contrived or stuff that's blatantly stolen from <laughs> other things and rewrite this in a way that honors that original idea um because you know at the time I, I didn't I guess I didn't realize it at the time but the writing for me was more like therapy than it was like writing you know I wasn't mm. sharing it with anyone um but being able to take those ideas and take those thoughts and those musings and turn them into um something original um was kind of the, the task at hand so you know, there's no coincidence that the, the generic Luke Skywalker, Frodo Baggins, farm boy, whatever, rural country person that you see in so many stories is what you see in this book. And it's because that's kind of who I was at the time, right? I was the weird kid running around looking at sunsets, not, you know, not having no idea what I was going to do with my life and like not even knowing if I was ever going to leave my small town, you know, but that's a story that so many people not just oh, in America, sure. but across the world experience. And that's yep. why that trope is so prevalent. So I was yeah. like, okay, I realize this is a trope, but we got to keep it in because that's part of the story, you know? And obviously, you know, as, as the story goes on, that trope kind of wiggles and changes. And there's a lot of commentary on the, you know, the chosen one trope, um, which, you know, will be revealed in future books. But that's kind of like the idea was really born from just like every classic fantasy story I've ever heard regurgitated. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there's something else to this. And then kind of restructuring it there and rebuilding it to be something new and original. Well, that's super cool. I, I definitely understand that. I, 
I think we can all understand the small town vibes where you're just like, oh, I want to get out of here and, and do something like I meant for something more, you know, like that whole theme. I think I think you're totally right. I think that's why so many people keep going back to it over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah 100%. I teach um, a filmmaking class at my local college. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, I, I went back to the college that I went to, to to teach some classes there. And um, something my student is when talking about star wars and we're talking about <clears throat> sorry the binary sunset scene right it's this iconic oh, scene and i asked this i asked the question to all my students like look at this scene this is when the music of this movie is the loudest we linger on this moment of this kid looking out into the sunset like the movie is saying this matters a lot you know and a lot of the students are like i never really thought about that before because they'd always just kind of written off star wars as a you know, just a fun fantasy adventure that doesn't really have any <laughs> stakes or meaning, right? Yeah. And it's like, they are showing you right at the beginning, the emotional core of this entire story, the kid looking at the sunset, dreaming of what his life could be and wishing he could be everything that he thinks he can be. You know, it's a super like profound, sad feeling. The music does an incredible job reflecting that. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people are just like, oh, that was a cool scene. Not realizing the filmmaker is like trying to tell you something. Um, so it's like, that moment is like, literally, I mean, does this not have binary sunset? Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. Like that, that feeling is something that is directly transplanted from Star Wars and dropped into this novella. So, sorry, that was a tangent there, but it's no, something that I'm like. <laughs> super cool. No, I, 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 I definitely understand that. That scene always hit me really hard. My friend would fast forward and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop what you're doing. I'm like, just, just stop. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Just stop. But yeah, I, 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 well, that's like, I feel like he just, George did such a great job opening the movie, you know, with, you know, the battle and, you know, Darth Vader coming in and just, I mean, Darth Vader, my friend made a good point. He goes, Darth Vader doesn't even do anything in that movie, you know, like, but you know, he's a Banff villain right off the bat. And I'm right. like, yeah, that's so true. You know? And he's like, even in Empire Strikes Back, you know, he's like, he does a couple of things and, you know, he goes, it just, he just adds, he goes, but I've never seen a tougher villain do less in the first movie in my entire life and, or book. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like it bugged me after that. I was like, yeah. So I, I would always study it. I'm like, how did, how did he do this? You know, I'm like one obviously was the look, the voice, but I definitely feel that opening scene. It just, it really showed the tyranny, you know, uh, the tyranny of the empire and really just showed, you know, who Darth Vader was at that point. So yeah, I think there's so many great writing points. I watched A New Hope. I love Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie of all time. Um, I just love, I don't know. I just love so many things about it. Um, you know, like <laughs> Cloud City was just one of the coolest things I think I've ever heard of uh, or oh, seen, yeah. you know, in any, in any capacity. And uh, even the books and comics where they add to Bespin itself, it's just like, I, he creates such a cool world. We just were talking about that on my last podcast. We were talking about with uh, JCM Byrne. Um, and we were discussing, you know, like the fantasy or sci-fi. And um, we were talking about superheroes and, you know, blurring that line. And I, he blew my mind. I was like, yeah, I never considered superhero science fiction, but definitely. But it led from our, <laughs> our, our Star Wars talk. He was like, yeah, we need to get a Star Wars panel on here. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely down for that one. So we'll put you down for that one for sure. Oh, for sure. We'll have to bring up the sunset scene and we'll have to see what some other people think about it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's such a good one. I'm going to go back and watch it again now, even if it's just for 
I love Yoda too, where that scene where, you know, an empire strikes back where he, you know, he's talking with Luke about the force and, you know, where the force comes from. He's like, you know, the tree, the rock. And like, I mean, that was just such a mm, profound. Yeah. Like yeah. just sometimes I'll just go back and watch that part. I actually use that part to explain native American, um, some native American religions that we talked about, particularly in the Southwest uh, from my history classes. Um, and like the Algonquins here, um, like in my local area of New York and uh, Michigan. And we like, we use a couple of those, you know, like Pocahontas is a great example. Like just the, like we love like, you know, the colors of the wind, you know, and just that like whole sense of harmony with nature. Uh, but yeah, I always, my, my, my buddy, my co-teacher is like, you're just trying to show more Star Wars. I'm like, no, <laughs> but, you know, it totally fits, but maybe I am, maybe I am. It's my class, so I can do what I want, right? So <laughs> exactly, incorporate them into the Star Wars fandom. So for that fourth one, how have you grown your audience with your TikTok? I obviously found you on TikTok, so I was just curious that you know I like your videos, um, I love your updates. Um, so you know, what really spurred you on in terms of using TikTok to you know kind of build your platform? So honestly, the truth is that everything else does not work. Um, <laughs> That's so true. Twitter's dead, man. Like Twitter's, Twitter's, it's so Twitter's dead. dead. Instagram is filled with bots. Like, oh, it's so you know, Instagram's the worst. Yeah, I, I tried my best at as many platforms as I could. And TikTok is really cool. My The issue that I, I didn't want to do it at first because I was really not trying to put my face next to this series quite so much, you know. I originally, you know, had hopes that I could just, you know, put them out there and the people would come, you know, and it was like, that's not really how it works. Like, you know, 10,000 other people release a book like every single day. Like you have to like get out there and like literally, you know, you can't be on the physical streets necessarily, but you can be on the <laughs> digital streets and, you know, start pawning your book off left and right. And it was like, that's essentially what I had to do. And the second I started putting my face on the videos, I got traction immediately. Uh, which is great. You know, I was able to, you know, grow a whole bunch of followers. I was able to engage with an audience, which is like engaging with an audience. Like I've been able to do that since like the early days of YouTube, you know? Yeah, so like, yeah, that's true. I was like, this platform is actually incredible. Um, so fingers crossed that it stays incredible. Um, yeah, it doesn't yeah. like, you know, do what these other platforms pull, did. Pull, pull, a, pull a summer Twitter and change the entire algorithm. So the writing community died. Like yeah. it drives me nuts. I used to have 150, my wife be like, who's texting you? You know, like, Jokingly, I'm like, it's just Twitter. It's just like, my gosh, like there was one day where I had, you know, 275 interactions, um, you know, just from writing, like not like personal. So I just got bored. Mm -hmm. So I counted. I was like, holy moly. And I was like so excited. And then, yeah, they changed everything in the summer. And last summer, it just it just died. I mean, I the other day I had the first time where I had like 100 interactions in a day. And that was 90 more than my average from now since last summer like almost a whole year i just i couldn't believe it so yeah like i feel like tiktok is definitely the way to go i know a couple authors like yourself around there are just like bam i'm posting this and then you know um you know quite a few views and things like that and, and likes things like that but mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting that you said you put your face on there rather than your books you know like i've heard quite a few people say that recently so that's just it's interesting to me that I think that speaks to what audiences want, you know, as they want mm -hmm. to, I think that's why people, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts about writing all the time. It's why I do podcasts. It's like, you know, I love learning and, you know, hearing about your books and what you've done and your thought process. So I, I definitely think you're onto something there with, you know, I, I think my friend called it at face value, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which mm -hmm. I liked, but yeah, it's, 
that's very interesting. Hmm. All right, yeah, so do you have a particular set of videos? Like I know, you know, you're doing updates and things. I try and keep track of all of them. Um, but do, do you have like a particular, um, you know, like plan throughout the week or a day? I know they say you're supposed to post three times on there, you know, to be successful. Have you found anything in particular that, you know, works really well for you? Yeah, it's hard because the, the algorithm is so yep. mighty and mysterious. Yep. Uh, I had one of my students was just randomly like a TikTok famous person. Uh, I was like, oh, this is, this is incredible. So I was like, oh, wow. So I have a few questions for you, TikTok famous student. Um, and he basically gave me the down low. He was like, he was like, you do whatever it takes to get views. And I was like, wow, that's intense. And he's like, yeah, he's, they film, he's got like a group of people. He does, he's one of those TikTokers that like goes into like, uh, like Walmart and does like weird things or whatever. So he's, got like a, he's got a team of people who does that. Um, and he's like, we do, we release like six versions of every TikTok, each with a different first five seconds to like test what the engagement is and he's just like you essentially have to fire a machine gun of content at the wall until the algorithm takes something um so that's essentially been my strategy is just like every idea under the sun i can think of and it's crazy because i will i'll do some experiments sometimes and i will repost the same video like a month apart first time it gets like 200 views the second time it gets like 2,000 views and it's like oh, it's the same it's the same video um I guess essentially, so from my understanding, TikTok will shoot out your, they do like tiered um, test showings basically. So they will send your, you upload a video, they will send it to your followers and a random group of 200 people who they think might be interested. If it gets good viewer retention for those first 200 people, it will send them to another 500 people. Oh, that's interesting. If it gets good viewer retention there, and that's how it starts to build and build and build. And it's the reason why you, you don't see views right away on your TikToks. And if you do get a viral TikTok, it doesn't happen until like a day or two later. It's because TikTok, TikTok's algorithm is sending it to different larger and larger swaths of people. So I had to, I had a couple that got like 300,000 views, like a huge like view count. Unfortunately, they had nothing to do with my book. So whatever, but. <laughs> yeah. I only do well with Star Wars, <laughs> like just Star yeah. Wars memes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to like slip it in there. Like yeah, a lot of my yeah. videos lately have been like, here's a completely unrelated topic. By the way, I wrote a fantasy book. Anyway, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You got to do what you can. But like the the big, like 300,000 big viral ones that I've had, um, I, those haven't gone viral until literally like a week after they came out. So oh, that's interesting. A lot of times it's just like waiting and seeing. I've yeah. found that it takes a full 24 hours before it goes to like a pretty big audience to get past like the 500 range but you know i'm still testing the algorithm is constantly changing like they literally yeah, tweak yeah. it week by week so i'm just throwing a bunch of content at the wall and some stuff is sticking <laughs> some most of it's not yeah <laughs> amen to that <laughs> yeah amen to that i just had an author that i like i feel like i talked her off a ledge so to speak from quitting you know being an author i was like she had great books i was you know i was looking at her content i was looking at her blurbs i was like hey i want to have you on my podcast i was like it looks to me like you're doing everything right. I was like, let's create content together and see if something sticks for you. You know, I'm like, I definitely don't want her to quit. Uh, I thought she had a great product. So, I, but I told her, I was like, I definitely understand. I'm like, I, I probably should be doing, be doing more writing this week, but I've been trying to get a few more things going, um, you know, on TikTok in advance, like you said, so that hopefully by next week when I'm doing my first novella uh, for this series, I can, you know, put some updates and news out there where it kind of, 
you know, kind of snowballs or kind of goes into that wave. I have noticed that like I tested this the other day with a few videos that did pretty well for me. And I just was, I just want to throw it out there for the audience. I did notice that when some of my videos were losing traction, when I commented or added a new comment as a creator, then it seemed to, and I did this for like 10 different videos. Every time I did that, it seemed to generate likes again, or it seemed to, hmm. it seemed to push it back out there. I can't, like, I haven't solidly proved it yet, but it seemed to help. Like I had stuff kind of settle and I did that. Like I had a Luke Skywalker one about his lightsaber and his Kyber crystal. I went and I was like, I'm just going to try this. So I kept responding to people. Well, then I added a whole nother link where you could find it. And then it definitely seemed to push it back out there. I think I'm up to like 18,000 views now um, for that one. So it definitely seemed to, when it was stalling out at like 7,000, it seemed to really push it past. So I don't know. It could just been waiting on the wave, but I don't know. It's just something to try. You just never know. Right. Maybe we'll get to a million with somebody, you know, who tries it, but yeah, yeah you never know. <laughs> it's really good. I'm, I'm so glad I asked you that. Cause now I'm going to be trying to uh, do something very similar. <laughs> Maybe I should do that too. Like, Oh, on an unrelated note, I have a podcast, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember one that you had the other day where I liked that. I was like, Oh yeah, bam. <laughs> it's like, like that one. I thought it was really funny. I was like, that's a good strategy. Uh, so what has been your experience writing uh, book one versus book two? I always like to ask people that. I feel like it's always a totally different, totally different game when you write book one or two or book three versus book two. It's weird because book two is not book two in the traditional sense. Book two is really part two of five um, because all of these novellas are grouped into volumes of five where you have, um, it's like, it's a five act structure really. You have an introduction, a catalyst, uh, a reaction, a climax, a response. Um, mm. those, are, those aren't official terms. That's just what uh, a five act movie occasionally uses as a, uh, once again, me drawing from film and TV to uh, <laughs> format these books. So the second they're, one- They're official now. We just, we just made them that way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can't even remember what I just said. Um, we'll play it back. It's all right. Yeah, it's okay. Well, we're on the tape. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the second one I wrote when I was also in middle school, I think. I think I wrote one mm -hmm. and two together. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That's a first one, for us. <laughs> yeah, I think one, two, and part of three I wrote together. Wow. It, it was really just one rambling story at the time. And then I eventually cut it into pieces. So um and, you know, writing and editing one, I've been, I've been editing book one for literal, like over a decade, obviously at this point, but it's like, I've been doing it with the knowledge of books two and books three and books four and five, all the way up to, I think I was writing 16 when it published. So oh, wow. um, there's a lot of things planted on early on. Um, and it's been a really nice way to have so much written already it's been a really nice way to make sure nothing feels like a book to you or nothing feels like I'm just spinning my wheels. Yeah, yeah. I'm writing and editing so far ahead that I'm able to come back and refine these books um, in a way that it doesn't feel like you have like book two syndrome or it feels like we don't know where we're going yet or we're kind of dilly-dallying on the way to the actual story, uh, which has been really nice because it's like people so far have loved book two more, more so than book one. I think just because it's so focused and it's so in love with the story that it's telling um, on its own merits, rather than trying to get you from book one to anywhere else. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. yeah. no, it, it totally does. I, I think that's where, I do think that's where, again, like Empire Strikes Back, like it delineates because there was stuff that happened in between and 
instead of like George trying to pick immediately up after that, it's like, you're really like, you know, you're like a year and a half, two years later, almost, um, you know, and all these adventures that happen and he just kind of picks up the characters from there. I think that's why it was so much more successful rather than having to push the characters. Cause a lot of people do that, right. With book two uh, or a movie with, you know, second movie, just trying to get the characters from point a move, you know, movie one to, you know, the, the third one. And that's why everybody liked one and three more. Uh, but I think that one in particular, it was so much better because it didn't do that. I also think that's why I me mean, personally, like um, the Hobbit desolation of smog was so good is that even though they were traveling and doing things, there was so much that happened to them that felt like it was just its own. It felt episodic, you know, it just felt mm-hmm. like we're here. This is what's happening. This is what we're dealing with. And we still have to go to this place, but it wasn't necessarily like they were focused on what was happening there. I felt like rather than having to necessarily you know go to this place and do this thing it was still in there but it wasn't necessarily like the main focus at least that's not how i felt um but yeah i definitely understand that i think that makes total sense mm-hmm. it's, it's a really good way to to write a second <laughs> book too <laughs> yeah i i definitely lucked out there yeah call it the george method yeah i like Patent that pending. <laughs> <Patent> pending. <laughs> so what is one lesson that you have learned in your writing that you wish you could go back and tell your past author self that's a great question. Honestly, I think it would be to not worry so much if it's good or bad or mm, if it makes sense or one. doesn't make sense. Because I think you can write, you can focus really hard on writing a very solid plot and ending up with a very empty story. But if you start writing with what is in your heart, what's on your mind, and it doesn't have to make sense because like the logic stuff can come later, right? But if you can get the feelings down on the page, if you can get a series of really good heartfelt moments down on the page, you can make it work later, right? You're, yeah. you're going to come back to it. You're going to, you're going to do, you know, literally book one. I, I think this is draft. Well, it's not draft anymore. It's out, but this is like the like 13th iteration, mm. you know, because it was like certain moments didn't make sense. It was, it was a collection of, of emotional beats that weren't really connected by a plot that made any sense. And it's like, you could tell I was trying to make it make sense before, but like after, and the first five novellas do a pretty good job at like this emotional thing. When I started writing volume two, which is novellas six through 10, um, that I was trying to write it like a writer. I was like, oh, we're going to start with the plot. We're going to make sure it makes sense. <laughs> and I got to, to the third book in that sequence, or sorry, third book in that volume. So six, seven, eight, nine, I got to nine and I was like, this makes sense, but it's not, I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm not putting enough of myself into this. And it was just, it kind of felt empty. So I, I started over basically, um, kept some of the beats in there, but I, I really had to like go back and it was a headache. So I was like, what is the emotional core of this book? What is the emotional core of this, this volume of novellas? Um, and that was, that was hard. That was way harder than if I had just like written what I was feeling at the time and then going back and making the plot work, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it saved me a lot of trouble writing the third volume and now starting on the fourth volume um, of novellas to, you know, start with that in mind and having learned that lesson, it's just been so much easier and the words just flow onto the page and, you know, I can get through an entire novella in under a year, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's the biggest piece of advice I wish I could have given myself would have saved me a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. 
So make sure everybody that's listening in the audience, now that you've written all of your books very quickly, um, you know, make sure that he gets, uh, you know, a cut of the profits through, you know, <laughs> being the Tony Robbins of the indie author world. <laughs> no, I think it makes total sense. I, I noticed the same thing with my, my, um, like my own fantasy world, like my book one, I uh, got this like thief thing going on with these two guys. Like, and I was like, Oh, I, I know this. It was a novella at first. I was like, Oh, I got this, this and that. And I, it was just so all over the place. Then I tried to do certain things and um, I was not having success with draft two. And now I'm having success with draft two because I, you know, not doing those things. I'm just like, okay. And I've actually started to chunk a little bit too and be like, okay, I just want to fix a little bit at a time. And, you know, then start to, I felt like I was doing too much. <laughs> so now I try to do just a little bit less uh, in terms of that. I think it makes total sense and is absolutely great advice. Your, your past self is probably going to thank you when you, you know, go back in time and, <laughs> and help them out now. So <laughs> you've talked a little bit about this, but how many books do you plan in the Moonrise Saga? And how did you come up with this number? There will be 45 novellas in the Moonrise Saga. Now, that seems intimidating. It is intimidating. Um, I'm almost halfway through writing that oh, right wow. now. Um, I say this with the understanding that this endeavor, finishing the saga, is going to be like an entire life sort of thing. Um, just at my current writing pace, the current release pace, like, and this is all assuming that I don't get some crazy check from some publisher to like hurry up and finish it. I could definitely go faster. Yeah, I could definitely go faster if this is my full time job and I had a budget to you know send this out to. <laughs> A million editors, you know. To so everybody offer. listening, we're taking offers right now. So. Yeah, I'm just saying, offers <laughs> open. Offers open. You've got my contact info in the description. I so. do. Yeah, we, we do actually. Yeah, <laughs> feel free to send it to anybody you know in the you know in in the world. Actually, everything. Yeah, exactly. You in want the it so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we can pump the gas on that. But yeah, so there's 45. There's um, a lot of this is there's a lot of symmetry in the structure. So. As I've been saying before, there's five novellas. Each of those, that group of five is in a volume. So you can kind of think of a volume as like your big old Brandon Sanderson tome, right? You got five, it's really one volume with five acts, um, but they're kind of, you know, five individual novellas. And then there's the trilogy of volumes, which creates a sequence. So you've got 15 novellas and three volumes in one sequence. And there's going to be three sequences overall. So you have this like nice kind of mathematic, you know, groups of things that kind of get bigger and smaller, three sequences. It's a trilogy of volumes, a trilogy of sequences. Um, and I landed on that number just because a lot of it was, the structure to me was really important um, to keep me on track, to understand where things were going. I never liked to be someone who just kind of wrote with no idea of where things were going. I was, um, you know, even when it, you're not sure what the ending is and if the ending has to change, having, you know, I'm a big person who, if I have to write a name on an envelope, I have to write the first letter and the last letter and then fill out the middle mm -hmm. to make sure it's centered. Um, so that's honestly what this is. It's, it's building that structure ahead of time so I can make sure I'm on schedule, make sure I'm on pace and make sure that the, all the beats are where they're supposed to be. And we don't end with this long run on sentence. You know, there's a big tradition today of fantasy authors maybe never finishing their work. Who knows? They're still alive, but you know, who could that be? <laughs> who could that be? Right. But it's like, I wanted to start out being like, no, like I know where this is going. I know where it ends. I know what all three sequences are about. I know what all the volumes pretty much are about. You know, the more specific you get, the more I'm like, mm, I don't know what this volume is going to be. We'll see here what this novella is going to be, but we'll see. 
Um, but I really wanted to start with that structure ahead of time. So I have 45 novellas. That's really not going to change. If there are more, it's going to be like bonus content, like a, like a prequel novella or a sequel novella or a companion oh, novella. Cool. But the core series of the Moonrise Saga is going to be 45. That was a plan from the start. Still the plan. I'm guessing it's going to always be the plan because everything is pretty much mapped out. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I guess we'll, we'll take out the, the pantser or planner question because you already got that <laughs> answer, but no, that's awesome. Right. I, I think that's really cool. I, I, my own fantasy stuff, like I have certain characters and certain books that like, I want to be a, like a core group, but I always like the Avenger style, like everybody assemble kind of thing. And I'm doing that for my urban fantasy stuff too, where I'm going to be doing like a trilogy of like my, um, five different characters who have their own trilogies hopefully series um but yeah like i i, I like that i i think that that is i just i love the forgotten realms i felt like there were just so many overarching themes and there were different people that wrote different things together so i love those big some people be like oh 45 novels i'm like bring it i'm like that's like my <laughs> kind of thing like in the same world same type of characters doing the same you know, same things going over different themes, you know, Dragonlance was another big one for me, you know, mm-hmm. Eberron, you know, so that's, that's definitely up my alley. So that's, that's very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, well, we'll go with that last one there. Uh, do you have any promos, news updates, or current projects that you would like to share with us? Yes. So you better believe I have both of them. Um, yeah. The first two novellas, this is one this is two and the moonrise saga are available right now i'm holding them in my hands these aren't these aren't test copies these are bad boys you can buy right now so i've got amazon links uh in the description hopefully yep we will Um, yeah we'll drop those down there right now they're only available on amazon just because i'm an indie author and that's it's the name of the game right now maybe someday (laughs) hopefully someday these will be on shelves somewhere but right now you can grab these on amazon ebook um audiobook is coming I can't say a date yet, but these are coming out every eight months. So this one just came out in July or sorry, the end of June. So the next one's due at the end of February, another one at the end of October, um, 2023. So these are going to come rapid fire. So keep your eyes open. TikTok, obviously, if that's where you want to follow me, that's where I'm the most active right now. You can follow me on Instagram. I do post some news there, but it's not good content. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. So TikTok's the way to go. Look at me on Amazon. Um, you can get all the updates there. Uh, I do have a newsletter that I'm that I'm sending out, so that's all on my Linktree link. With it's got everything on it. The newsletter is a great place to find news if you're like interested in not quite TikToky content. Because yeah, TikTok a lot of the content is just like, hey, like look at this thing, you know. And at some point you're like, mm, this feels too much like content, not enough like I actually <laughs> want to know what's going on with the series. So more thorough updates are on my newsletter. Once again, both books are available right now. They are, uh, well, this one is. Every chapter is illustrated. So if you like pictures, all the art done by me, all the chapter headings done by oh, me. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, we have illustrations in every single book. So if you like if you like some pictures with your novella, go for it. Moonrise is a snack size fantasy adventure. I like to tell people novellas each are around 200, 250 pages. So uh, they're super fun, super fast to get through. And if you are in, if you liked, if honestly, if you made it this far, I already know you're probably going to check it out. So <laughs> thank you <laughs> for doing fair. that. <laughs> That's fair. Now, I just, I just, I have this question. I, I feel, I just have a feeling that other people will as well. Um, and you have talked about, you know, your different background. Um, obviously, you know, your product looks great and you did it yourself. Now, would you consider, you know, giving some of your services to people for 
moolah um, for book covers, you know, and, and things like that. I was just curious. That is a great question. So I've had some author friends reach out to me and the unfortunate reality is that book cover artists operate on very shoestring budgets. Yeah. Um, so I work full-time doing art and like, if I had hired someone to do this cover, it would have been way out of my budget. Um, because essentially the, you know, the, the, the rates that I'm working for now, the projects I'm working on now are just like huge compared to what a book, a book is super shoestring. So yeah, yeah, yeah. unfortunately I'm not taking commissions at the time, but maybe someday. You know, if I get out of the advertising TV world, I mean, it's so much fun to work on books and print. Um, It's just, it's been like a new passion of mine ever since I started picking it up. And, um, you know, it's a completely different ballgame to digital. So it's been super fun. Um, Yeah. So maybe keep your eyes out on the horizon. Uh, (laughs) If the right client comes. That's fair. So you got to sign up for his newsletter and then you can hear about that future uh, future possibility, maybe, but you guys have for the newsletter. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks All for right. the plug. <laughs> yeah, I got you anytime, my friend. Uh, so make sure check out the links in the description for always. We always put all of our offers there. So make sure you guys are doing that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we want you guys to do that right away. Um, that way you can see, you know, great books like Moonrise Saga, um, you know, check out great authors and, you know, uh, maybe review some too, you know, reviews. We keep trying to stress that reviews are the best way to help an author, not just buying the book and letting it sit on the shelf. Um, so, you know, as soon as you pick one of them up, you know, please just make sure you're reviewing and feel free to tag me or, you know, any of my sites in the review. And, you know, we'll make sure we share with everybody. Um, that way we can help everybody out. So please audience do that. All right, my friend. Well, it was so great talking to you. I look forward to, you know, checking out more of your, you know, TikTok feeds and things like that. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, you know, getting uh, book one read here really soon. I'll be doing some book reviews and things like that on TikTok, as well as the channel. So we're unveiling those here in the fall. So trying to get your first novella down. <laughs> um, definitely. I'm just like, I just keep getting drawn to the cover and just the the lettering in particular. So it's calling to me, uh, much like the C to Odysseus. So, uh, but I hope you have a great rest of the evening and I'll be emailing you obviously, and, you know, good luck with everything that you're doing. Oh, sorry. Cut out on me. <laughs> sorry yeah, about that. <laughs> Zoom's like, yeah, so no. close. Zoom's like, now you're done. You're done. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> I'll cut that up. But you have a good rest of the night and I hope to talk to you in the future, my friend. Cool. Thank you so much for having me on. Not it's a been a really great experience. Excellent. Excellent. Anytime you want to come back, you just let me know. All right. I will. Perfect. Have a good one. Thank you.